So we're most of the way through our series called Cosmic Lens, where we're looking at spiritual warfare, but very specifically talking about the armor of God and how it interacts with our everyday life. That this is an armor that we are to have on consistently in order to be able to function well within the Christian life. Now, where we are in, in the book of Ephesians, very specifically, uh, and actually, if you want to turn there, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be highlighting verse 17 right now, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And where we are in the story is it starts off in the book of Ephesians from this heavenly perspective, you know, the, these blessings that we get from the Lord. And, and then it moves and, and continues to move on on what it means to live out the Christian walk. And then it ends again with sort of that heavenly perspective, recognizing that we have a battle that we're participating in, whether we recognize it or not. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to start reading from verse 10, and we'll go to verse 17. Here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, or rather in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your Word, as we're, Lord, if we're trying to figure out how to live out this Christian walk, recognizing that there is a, both a physical plane and a spiritual plane that we function in, Lord God, I pray that you will help us to have eyes that are open, hearts that are open, spirits that are open to everything you have for us today. In your name I pray. Amen. So I'll just make this statement, and I think that uh, you'll understand it. I think that it'll resonate with you. And, and the statement is very simply as this. The devil attacks us most effectively through our minds. The devil attacks us most effectively through our minds minds. Uh, on a battlefield of life, we need to have our heads protected. And that's what this helmet of salvation does that we find in verse 17. Uh, the helmet of salvation protects our minds. It protects our heads from the enemy's deadly blows. And the helmet protects our thoughts, but it also perfects our thoughts. You hear that? It protects our thoughts, but it also perfects our thoughts. And sometimes I would suggest that we have very little control over our thoughts. You know, they, uh, they just come to us, we could say. I, I give me an example of what I mean. This is one of my favorite ones. I'm going to tell you what not to think about. And whatever you do, I don't want you to think about this. Okay, so do not think about your favorite pie. Whatever it is. I don't want you thinking about the crust. I don't want you thinking about the filling. I don't want you to think about the smell or what it looks like. I don't want you to think about who made it. Don't think about your favorite pie. And especially, don't identify what that favorite pie is 
in your mind. Don't name it. Don't give it like, is it don't if it's an apple pie, don't say it's an apple pie or whatever the pie is. Do not think about your favorite pie. As a matter of fact, do your best for the remainder of the day not to think about your favorite pie. Question for you. What'd you think about? Right? You thought about your favorite pie. Why? Because it's suggested to you. And, and the moment it's stated, it, it conjures this image, this maybe sometimes a feeling or, or a reminder of a flavor that comes into your mind. We can't help but think about our favorite pies when it is suggested to us in that way. At other times, we do choose our thoughts, right? Like, so for example, at school, we listen to our teachers sometimes, right? And, and right now, well, maybe not so much. We choose our TV show. We're choosing what we will think about. We choose things all the time. We choose our thoughts. It's as if our minds are like they have this gate and it lets some thoughts in and shuts others' thoughts out. And so I want to suggest to you that the evil one, the devil, actually wants to attack your minds. He wants access into that gate. And the, the devil gets us to believe a lie is truth, then he can control our lives. And that's how this works. So he's attacking our minds. And if he can get us to believe a lie is truth, he's able to control our thinking. He's able to control our lives. He's able to control how we feel and think about ourselves. But I need us all to understand that God has provided a way to protect access to our thought life. Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. And so it's important to understand that this helmet of salvation is a protective piece within the armor of God. It protects our minds from the evil one's attacks on our minds. The devil's goal is to cause chaos in our lives and through our thinking. So he, he wants our marriages to fail. He wants our businesses to fail. He wants families to fight, children to disobey. He wants churches to divide. This is what he wants. And all of that starts to take place first within the mind. It's a thought that plants and grows because that thought is often something negative about either our families or our spouses or our workplaces or our churches, and, and, and it gets watered and it grows and it grows into this uncontrollable weed. It takes over everything. His weapons that attack our thoughts, their doubt, their fear, their false thinking. For a lot of us, it's depression, especially in the day that we live in now. These are all forms of deception. And it's important to understand that. Like his chief tool is deception. Jesus says that he is a liar and that he's been a liar from the beginning. And so what is he lying about? What's he trying to deceive people in? Well, I think one of the things we see automatically within the scriptures from Genesis chapter 3 verse 13 is that, is that there's this deceiving or this we get deceived as it relates to false teaching. He goes to Adam and Eve, right? And he says, then the Lord said, sorry, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And this is talking about eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good, or tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were instructed not to eat from. Serpent comes to her and says, did God really say this? Like, so he plants this doubt. And in the planting of the doubt, 
he also plants this idea of self-elevation, right? So did God really say, but you'll be just like him? And it kind of hits that mind trap. And it germinates this seed that grows into this weed. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. there's an instruction. It says, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Be careful or you will be enticed. And so there's this idea of be on guard and don't get enticed by these things. Romans 16, 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. And so this is talking about doctrine. This is talking about right teaching. And run from the people that are telling you wrong things about who Jesus is, what salvation is, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is. Like all of it. Run. Have nothing to do with people who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. I think it's safe to say that we're deceived regarding moral lifestyles. And before we fill our minds with what that means, check this out. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And it's the idea of whatever is influencing us, right? Like the whole bad company corrupting good character, that's talking about the influence that this bad company has on good character. And so what are the influences in your life? What are the predominant influences in your life that are determining what you deem is moral or immoral? What are you taking in? Who are you listening to? What arguments are you leaning towards? Like, what is it? And then there's this deception of our own morality. 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so this is this idea of, yeah, me and God are good. I'm not doing anything wrong right now, right? Like we're just judging ourselves from perspective that is just flawed and not recognizing that Man, I just got sin to deal with at any given moment. There's something that the Lord is wanting to work out within me. And the beauty of understanding that piece, talking about our own morality, is that if I recognize that I've got sin in my life, it is required upon me to offer grace to somebody else in theirs. Not acceptance of sin, but grace in sin to lead people towards repentance. And then he wants to deceive us regarding our destiny. To get people to think that there isn't going to be a final judgment. To get people to think that what we do here doesn't really matter. Well, Revelation tells us something a lot different. Revelation 20, verse 10 to 15 says this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw that the dead, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And, the, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name is not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
There will be a final judgment. What we do with Jesus does matter. There's no such thing as this idea of a good person making it to heaven. There was this old cartoon years ago. It says, all dogs go to heaven. No, it's not true. Not every person goes to heaven. There's going to be a judgment day. And what we've done with Jesus is the thing that we're going to have to wrestle with, is the thing that we're going to be judged upon. Did you accept Jesus? Did you not? You accept Jesus? Your name is in the book of life. You don't, and it's not. That's it. I mean, there's no middle ground on this one. And so there was, there's this deception that he's got with all throughout the world, and sometimes in us as believers, as if we, we live as if there's not going to be this final judgment, but there is. And it should give us a sense of urgency towards people. If I could take away the sense of urgency, then we live life, but not with significant purpose, and certainly not with the kingdom in mind. The devil seeks to change the way we think about God and the way we think about each other. God provides this helmet of salvation so that our thoughts will be protected and perfected. So protected, it looks like it is protected by the confidence of salvation. The devil knows that he can, if he can control what we think, he can control who we are. The Christian hope then, as we talk about this helmet of salvation, the Christian hope is not a blind wish that we, you know, oh, I hope it's going to be okay. No, that hope in the scriptures is this, this idea of this confidence, this assuredness towards the truth that's there. And so we are secured by God's faithful, unfailing love. This is, this is something that we need to understand, that we are protected by these things. The helmet of salvation protects our thoughts, especially as it relates to things like salvation. You are secured by God's faithful, unfailing love. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so our salvation is dependent on Him, not us. We can be secure. My hope comes from God's perfect love, not my perfect performance, because my performance is imperfect. If you've truly repented, had a change of mind, moved 180 degrees in a different direction, then we should have a desire to please our Heavenly Father, but that pleasing of Him is not what gains us salvation, as we've talked about before. My hope, my security, my certainty that He will not abandon me comes from the fact that He is faithful. It is in His ability to keep His promises that protects me from the devil's darts of discouragement as it relates to that salvation. So I can have confidence in that salvation. We are secured by Jesus' faithful, unending priesthood. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who's died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So Jesus is constantly talking about us to the Father, always, constantly. When everyone else fails and bails on us, Jesus stands at the right hand of God and he is for you. The devil says you're alone. He says that no one is ready to stand for you or with you tries to isolate. But Jesus says, I am for you. And that is what he does as a high priest. He always talks to the Father on our behalf. So he's faithful in that. 
We are secure by the Holy Spirit's unending presence, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with Him, in Him, with a seal, the promise, Holy Spirit. How do I know that I have the Holy Spirit living in me? I think there's some fruit that comes from that. Uh, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit makes us truthful and truth-oriented. We desire more truth. We, we express truth. We tell the truth. It makes us more loving and more obedient. So God knows our thoughts. And, and, and the interesting thing that comes along with that is that sometimes those thoughts that we have, they lead us towards God, but sometimes the thoughts we have lead us away from God, and we don't like them. We don't want them. And as a matter of fact, some of those thoughts that lead us away from God also lead us into hurting others. And, and that's certainly not the desired outcome that we have, but we wrestle with this stuff. Our enemy, Satan, he wants us to think about the things that lead us away from God. But the helmet of salvation, when we put that on, it protects us from some of that thinking and, and it we recognize at that point that I can choose the lies of the devil or I can choose the truth of God. And as I choose the truth of God, I'm going to be more truthful. I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be more obedient. And as I am in these things, then it has a ripple effect in all the other areas of my life as well. And so I'm protected from those attacks. But I'm not just, like the helmet of salvation doesn't just protect me. It also perfects my thoughts. 1 John 3, verse 3 says, All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. And so hope becomes real when it penetrates our hearts and it changes our minds and our actions. And we move in His direction. And so we take this helmet of salvation. That's the language of it, is that we're grabbing hold of it, we're taking it, we're putting it on. And, and so then it means that it's kind of, it's up to us to move in this direction of having our minds transformed. We are committed. We take action towards having our minds changed, transformed. Our thoughts are changed by taking them captive to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. Actually, 3-5 to says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And then he says in verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If we were to break that down, we could say that we sift our thoughts through the filter of God's Word. You know, here's my thought. Here's God's Word. And I need to take this thought. I need to sift it through God's Word so that what comes out on the other side is godly. Is godly. And my worry sometimes within the Christian community is that we have our thoughts, we have God's Word, and we try to bring God's Word over this way towards our thoughts, and what gets sifted out isn't always godly. But we feel self-righteous about it. We sift our thoughts through the filter of God's Word. We surrender our ideas, our preferences, our opinions to the truth of God's Word. That's the toughest one. Like we are a people who want what we want when we want it. And we butcher His Word 
when we take that approach to it. And we got to surrender our ideas to the truth of God's Word. I have so many preferences. I mean, if you really want to know how sinful I am, just ask me about my preferences and you'll see. There are so many of the things that I appreciate, the, the things that I would prefer that are not in line with Scripture, that I constantly have to surrender to Scripture That it's just, it's evidence of the fact that I am a, a person who deals with sin. And I constantly need the work of Jesus, the gospel in my life all the time. We sift our thoughts through the filter of God's word. We surrender ideas, our ideas to the truth of God's word. We shatter strongholds through the power of God's word. Strongholds through the power of God's word. The Holy Spirit will reveal what needs to be removed if we allow Jesus to work in our minds. So what are some of the strongholds that need to be destroyed? Well, how about this? I believe that one of the strongholds that every single one of us deal with at any given point is ignorance of our sin. Like we don't always know what we don't know, right? Like we, we, we don't always know what the sin is in our lives that needs to be confessed. We don't always even realize that maybe some of our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts are sinful. We just, we just don't always know. And so then we become ignorant of sin. You know what would be amazing? To have other godly people in our lives that we will walk through life with where we get to confess things to them, they confess things to us, and it's in that confessing of things that when we hear this about somebody else, we start to wonder, hey, I wonder if that's actually part of my life as well. Or how about this? That we challenge each other with the sin that we see in each other's lives in order to be able to help each other grow. So that sin no longer has root in our lives. A stronghold is ignorance of sin. I think another one is uh, pride and self-righteousness. You know, this is the idea of, I have my opinion, I have the Bible, I try to make the Bible fit into my opinion and out. And in doing so, if nobody, if I'm encountering people who don't share my opinion, don't appreciate my preference, don't think the way I do, be the way I be, well, then I must be better than them. Because they're not doing it my way. They're not doing it as good as me. Guys, that's pride. That's self-righteousness, and it has no place in the kingdom. But we do it. We do it, and I don't know anybody on the planet that actually likes it. Like, I've never met a person who likes their pride. I've never met a person who likes their self-righteousness. As a matter of fact, every single person that I have encountered, when any of us are confronted with our pride, confronted with our self-righteousness, we immediately, because we love Jesus, come to a place of, Oh man, I gotta make that right. I got, I got, that's gotta change in me. And usually the next step is trying to figure out how, right? But this is a stronghold. When we apply what God says about the matter, about our matter, it will transform our thinking and tear, tear down strongholds in our lives. Our thoughts are changed by thinking right thoughts, right? And so, so that's one of the ways that. That, that thoughts are changed, that we move away from thoughts that are not right thoughts towards thoughts that are right thoughts. We don't change our minds or, or our thought life by fighting against 
our favorite, thinking about our favorite pie. Like you're never gonna change your mind by thinking about the thing that you want to change your mind from. Because it still has your focus, it still has your thinking. So it's kind of like this. Let's say you've got this sin in your life that you're just struggling with and you can't seem to get rid of. Okay, there's two approaches to it that I've seen with people. The one approach is, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna train myself, I'm not gonna think about this sin, I'm not gonna do this sin, I'm gonna read every imaginable book I can on the topic of this sin so that this sin will not be a sin in my life anymore. Okay, is your focus sin or your focus righteousness at that point? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that we don't try to find out why this sin is in our lives. It's not that we don't try to find out and understand this sin, but we do so from the perspective of wanting to move in opposite direction of it, which means that we don't dwell on the sin. We dwell on righteousness and we pursue righteousness. And as we pursue righteousness, the sin that we confess, that we repent of, right? Because part of the repenting is moving away from sin towards righteousness. That sin begins to diminish in our lives over time. And for some people, right away, we change our thinking. We put so many right thoughts in our head that the wrong thoughts have no room to take root. It's kind of like this, right? Like salvation is talked about in three ways. There's that day of salvation that we have, which is the, the, the actual term for it is justification, right? Like at some point in life, you chose Jesus. You are justified. But the second one is the one that we live out as believers until the day that Jesus comes to bring us home into glory, which is what we call sanctification. And so salvation doesn't stop on the day that we accept Jesus. Salvation continues on. There's a work of salvation that happens every day, and we call that sanctification, and it takes place until we die or Jesus returns to take us home. That's how it works. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. And so it's the idea of I'm in charge of where my head goes and what my thinking is. And so I am to set my heart and my mind on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Like, do you realize what it means to be seated with Jesus? God's grace has deposited everything we will ever need in this life to be able to set our minds on things above where Jesus is. Philippians 4, 8, 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, like, listen to this. If this isn't setting your mind on things above, I don't know what is. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, listen, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so when we fill our minds with God's truth, we free our minds from the devil's control. You hear that? When we fill our minds with God's truth, we free our minds from the devil's control. And if we give our minds, if we give God our minds, our hearts and hands will follow. If God has our thinking and our thinking is moving towards him, our hearts and our hands will follow. So what do we do? How do, how do we do this? What can we do to allow the helmet of salvation to be both protective and be perfective. 
Have an intentional quiet time with God every day and dedicate the day to Him. How about start there? Have a dedicated quiet time. Focus your attention on Him, on the things above. Every time you open your wallet, think about what you're really spending it on and have you included God who gave it all to you from the start. Like when we open our wallets, who's the focus? Is it me? Is it Him? Like have we considered God when we open our wallets? Take time to go out of your way to help a lost soul for no reason at all other than just help them. Take time to work with your talents, not for yourself, but for the kingdom. Help the needy. Take time to be with our church family in whatever way possible. And give up anything that would cause you to choose not to. Even if it's something that you're not comfortable with. You don't come to church for yourself only. You participate in the family of God for the sake of others as well. Ask yourself, what do my kids see in my priorities? Can they see my helmet of salvation working itself out in my life with fear and trembling? And then how about this? This is the last one. Some of us need to be honest with Jesus and we need to receive the gift of salvation right now. You actually just like, you don't even have the helmet of salvation and you need it. These are the things we can do. What do you need? We need to maneuver. What do you need to maneuver? I think it's really important that we understand that all of us have something that we could be doing in order to be able to have our thinking more dedicated to God. That the Bible becomes a filter for our thoughts, not our thoughts become the filter for the Bible. And that we need to consider what it actually means for God to be the priority in our lives so that the helmet of salvation will be both protective and perfect. If we love the protected part, it's the perfected part that we struggle with the most. So where are you? Do you need to lean more into the protection side of the helmet of salvation and recognize that what God's done for you covers you? Do you need to move more into the perfected part of who you are so that your thought life is more reflective of the fact that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God and part of His royal family? Or are you a person that has never made a decision for Jesus? Or you don't remember a time that you made a decision for Jesus and you're living life without a helmet at all? My hope and prayer for you is that is that you will understand that this helmet provides protection, it perfects our thoughts. And for those of you who have not accepted Jesus, that it brings hope. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time today. I thank you that you are the God who gives us protection in this helmet of salvation. That you help us to understand through it that when the evil one comes along to try and deceive us, when he comes along to try and cause doubt in our lives, that that helmet protects us from that. That you, Jesus, are sitting at the right hand of the Father and you are constantly interceding on our behalf. And Lord, we praise you for that. I pray, Lord, for those of us who need our thinking to come more in line in terms of having our thoughts, our opinions, our preferences to be filtered through your word. Lord Jesus, that that, that would be the thing that you would take us through in this time right now. That our thoughts would be perfected. And Lord Jesus, if there's anybody out there that hasn't received you or doesn't remember a time that they received you, 
Oh, Lord, that you would make yourself known to them. And if you're one of those people right now, then just pray this with me. Jesus, I don't know a whole lot about you, but what I do know is that you love me enough that you came from eternity to die on the cross for my sins and that you rose again three days later and you're sitting at the right hand of the Father and you're doing this and your desire for this was that you did not want to be separated from me for eternity. And so Jesus, because of your love for me, because I believe that you are who you say you are, I want to receive you right here, right now, and receive your free gift of grace, your gift of salvation. And I want to be a participant in your kingdom in spreading your gospel. Thank you so much for your word. In your name I pray. Amen.